0: Hey, I'm Kian Prendival, host of the Bottom Dog podcast, which is a five-part podcast telling the story of the Limerick Soviet of 1919. During the COVID-19 crisis, I've been working with a group of other left and socialist activists here in Ireland to produce a new podcast, Left Inside, which offers a weekly critical look at news, politics and culture from the left. It's a relaxed, funny panel discussion, including socialist member of the Irish Parliament, Paul Murphy. Anyway, I I thought some of you who would subscribe to Bottom Dog may be interested in this too. So here's a recent episode I was on. If you like it, please do make sure to subscribe to Left side in whatever podcast app you use. Anyway, here's the episode. Enjoy.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Left Inside. I'm Paul Murphy and this week I'm joined by Nicole who's making a repeat appearance. Hello Nicole.
2: Hello again.
1: And I'm joined by new panelists, very exciting. Philomena Foster, or otherwise known as Phil, affectionately.
3: <laughs> yeah, hey, hi, everyone.
1: And then we also have Keen Prendeville, who's written an extensive introduction to himself because he happens to be the producer. <laughs> He's advertising himself <laughs> as the host of the Bottom Dog podcast. First time on the panel, producer of Left Inside, an all round good guy. Keen Prendeville. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for your extensive introduction for yourself. So this week, we want to discuss the phasing out of lockdown, the crisis in the meat plants. And I think Kean has an article for us to lacerate later. Um, but first of all, how have you all been doing over the course of the last week? Gotten up to anything interesting in either virtual or real life?
0: I, I, I'm thoroughly excited. I had, probably the most exciting thing that can happen during lockdown um, is I discovered a new pizzeria. Uh, <laughs> which does really good pizza and it's just around the corner from from me. They just opened up in the middle of lockdown, which is weird, but they do amazing pizza. So I'm I'm delighted.
2: God, that's an interesting business choice on their part.
1: <laughs> they were like pre-committed to it. They had the loan already taken out.
2: Yeah, maybe, or maybe they were like, "Quick, while everyone else is closed, we'll sneak in and get all the business."
1: That's what it and is. It <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> the whole of Limerick City will be up there.
1: <laughs> maybe they got loads of cheap frozen pizzas because supermarkets or whatever, and then just put them in the oven.
0: No, they're they're homemade, like Neapolitan style pizza, tin base, wood wood oven. It's phenomenal.
3: The real deal. Mine was mine was actually getting a basketball. Would you believe that? For the last five weeks, I used to play it. And there's just down the road here. There's a, a basket there that you can use. Anybody can use. And you couldn't get one anywhere, but got one of them this week. So
1: I'm looking forward to doing that. That's very good. Exercise,
2: yeah. Fab. That's a lovely way of getting your exercise in.
1: What about you, Nicole? Any sports? Any f- sports or food?
2: Um, So I've actually, I'm going to be honest, I've had one of the hardest weeks I've had since lockdown started. And the main reason for that is because my um mother, well, I suppose the two of us, in fairness, uh, have been waiting on a delivery of garden furniture. And so I've actually been trapped in the front room of my house waiting for the doorbell to ring since Monday. The packages arrived at like nine o'clock last night, the last of the packages. It's just, I've actually been trapped in my house and I've never realised how much I appreciated getting out at lunchtime and like leaving the house for a little walk and stuff. It's been so hard all week. I felt like a prisoner. It was like a real... Why
0: couldn't like one of you... stay in the house
2: because my mom sorry my mom works uh Ah, okay okay. just me in the house so i was nominated as designated door watcher and um yeah and needless to say i hate this garden furniture before it even arrived because it was awful but is is it
0: nice garden furniture though that's the question
2: my mom is putting it together out in the garage as we speak at the moment because she has fridays off so when we're done here i have to go down and help her uh Put it together So I'll send you a picture afterwards Let you know how we get on <laughs> Hopefully it's worth it I hope
3: it doesn't
1: blow away Nicole I think
2: it's good Sturdy stuff Phil I think we should be alright Good
1: <laughs> The end of this podcast series We're going to know more About Nicole's mum Than we are about any of the
2: That's so true actually I should get her on One of the
1: <laughs> We should get her on <laughs> Special guest Bring your mum to work day <laughs> yeah.
2: Well I've been spending A lot of time with her guys We're trapped in the house together lately. <laughs>
1: That's nice Anything political During the week for
3: anybody? I went to, it was, I, I, another thing actually was, basically went to a protest, which I thought was uh, great to get out to, couldn't wait to get there, uh, been so used to doing that.
1: Sure it's a trip, based. It's
3: the guys down in City West, so I'll go into that later, I presume.
1: Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I was outside, uh, what, last Friday? There was the Debenhams protests around the country at the shops. I was at the one at the square. I think Phil was there as well, and then I was also um, with the workers protesting outside the Doll on Wednesday. That's the third time they've been outside the Doll while government ministers and Fenafolders and whatever kind of whiz by, not caring about what they're they're raising uh, at all. Um, you were down there last Friday, Phil as well, and at the Devoners Workers?
3: I was. I was there Friday and what basically, I, when I was talking to the girls, they were saying they're trying to remove all the stuff that they have in there, the clothes and stuff, to send them to England where it would have helped them pay for their redundancy instead of the taxpayer paying.
2: Yeah, because all the Debenhams stock would be like designer gear and stuff like that. So it would be worth an absolute fortune.
1: I think they're saying, I think it's worth tens of millions, I think is what the stock is. I mean, that's the only, the only assets they have are the stock and the leases with the, the various landlords. And it,
0: it's like 25 million, I, I had, it was a figure that I heard said. But um, did, did they get it out or are they still, like I, the last I saw was Debenhams were saying, Debenhams workers were saying that they were going to block the trucks if they if they if they tried to drive the stock out they were willing to stand in front of the trucks they were first and foremost they were appealing to the truck drivers don't scab on this like you know uh, um uh, uh, but did that happen yet or is, is there any update on that
3: Yeah, that's supposed to be happening today I think I don't know actually where the 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 depot is. Myself, so.
1: Well, I think I think there is stock in the stores, as I understand it. But I, I was talking to Jane. I think it's Jane Crow, who's the shop steward in Henry Street, um, and she was saying this. And obviously, one of the things that's happened is they had when, when we were down there on Friday, they hadn't yet had the ballot in for strike action. And since then, that came in, and ninety-seven percent voted for strike action. And um, obviously. A strike in this context is a different sort of thing, not just because of coronavirus, but because the company is gone. Withdrawing your labour doesn't apply. But it's about sending a message to the company, showing the resoluteness of the, the workers and preparing to try to stop the, the stock removal. I haven't heard anything when we were recording this on Friday. I haven't heard anything about coming out yet.
0: It also, haven't had the vote for strike action, I think also... Mean strengthens your case to demand that nobody crosses that picket line and removes the stock. That it's this is an, this is a, a an agreed picket line. There's been a ballot and all, and no worker should cross that picket line to remove that stock. And instead, that that stock twenty five billion euros worth or whatever should be used at the very least to pay the workers' redundancy. But actually, like if the government had any real gumption to them, uh, uh, they could use that stock to, 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 to kickstart reopening those shops maybe re, 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 refitting them changing it to, to produce other stuff or to sell other stuff um, but try to keep it going Like
3: what you're saying there is dead right like they actually said that themselves like uh, it, it could be kept open a few of the girls that was talking to the. It, it's viable to do it Like
2: well when I was I did an interview with um, one of the know, marathon workers. interview I did. tell us how long your interview was it was uh, well even after it was caught, it was like 50 minutes long yeah. I'm a bit of a chatter and so it was Brian so,
1: <laughs> yeah, so was he. we were there
2: for a while yeah. The two of us just kept interrupting each other and stuff.
0: Did you talk about your mother at all?
2: Um, do you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I did at some stage, Keane, to be honest. So, um, He was saying that they're actually still running the online store from over here because it's still profitable for them. And also there was the rumour that some of the stores were actually still making a viable profit. So even if it was a case that not all of the stores could reopen, you know, the workers feel as though it could have been investigated at least. But just in in terms of the stock, are they taking that stock out of the stores to then sell it online?
1: The British company will claim that they own the stock and that's disputed. But... If the British company is able to say, oh, no, it's actually ours, ownership was never transferred to the Irish, they were just like holding onto it, it was just simply resting in their stores before they sold it, then they can kind of bypass the liquidator and bypass the rights of workers to access some of this, because the workers are creditors from the point of view of the, the liquidator, they're owed redundancy, but basically they're going to try to... Officially, they're two separate companies, Debenhams UK, Debenhams Ireland. Debenhams UK say, oh, actually, this is our stock, and they go in and just take it, and then that's the the main asset that they have, simply gone to try and undermine the workers' ability to get even the redundancy that they're, that they're owed.
0: And the point is, if they get away with that, that it's not just crap for Debenhams workers, but it means that it's the state that ends up paying those redundancy payments. So, like, everybody has a stake in this... Um, like, if they, the government shouldn't be sitting on the sidelines watching 25 million euros be taken out, that instead the state will then have to foot the bill for. Um, and the, the, the other thing, like, that I think is, is that a lot of this, they're saying, oh, Debenhams has lots of debts. But they haven't said how many, how much of Debenhams Ireland's debts are actually just debts to Debenhams UK? You know what I mean? Um, we they haven't opened the books. They haven't shown us what the actual shown the workers what it is like. You know.
1: I mean, the whole approach of the government is just extremely wash their hands of it. That's it. That every time we raise it in the doll, um, they just say, "Oh, it's nothing to do with with us." Heather Humphrey said, "Oh, well, it's some comfort to the workers that at least they're getting three hundred and fifty euros. Basically, that they're lucky that this has happened to them during the coronavirus because otherwise they'd just be on the doll, which obviously really offended the workers."
0: She even said. They're getting it for now. Obviously, it'll be because So they're planning on taking it off them as well, like, you know. Uh, um, and the other thing, did you see, I think it was Heather Humphreys, one of those ministers was out saying, giving out about the guards, saying that it was bad that the guards didn't allow the Ebenhams workers to have the protest. Which is like, they they brought in these laws that restrict protests. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, and then they're turning around and saying, oh, we didn't expect them to be used to restrict protest, like, you know.
2: Well, one of the points that Brian made I thought was very good was the fact that we can bring in this emergency legislation, to, you know, to, to make sure social distancing and stuff like that happens. But where's the emergency legislation to make sure that employers can't take advantage of the situation and fuck over their employees for an unprecedented event like this? Like. You know, it suits one person or one group of people alone.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, Phil. Just what? What was the, I saw that there was this? Other, there was another similar strike up in out in City West. What was the story there?
3: Yeah, that's right in City West. Uprise, scaffolding. Yeah, I was talking to one of the guys there, and basically, what happened was in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. If you, there's a video online for anybody who wants to watch it, um he gave a good synopsis of the whole lot. They tried to actually send everything to Latvia anyway. um, And they the workers were very, very good, sort of saying, well, okay, you know, let's uh, share the work and validate them for, you know, okay, yeah, we're going to do this if you can keep our jobs for us, basically. Done all that and then being told they're being made redundant, basically. And I think to one of the lads, like, uh, said that they have been, like... Been claiming subsidy as well, and
0: it's 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 scaffolding that they make or something like. So, like obviously, there there needs to be a whole w- once COVID passes and people can go back to work safely and all, the state should be building huge numbers of public housing. So we need scaffolding. Like you know, there's a strong case for a, a public ownership of the construction industry. I would I would imagine you know,
3: but that's exactly what they said. And like when when you think about two thousand and eight when the the crash happened, then that's when. Uh, he was sort of, sort of saying, oh, lads, like, I can't keep you on. This guy is a feckin' millionaire-like, you know? So it's just a convenient opportunity. When COVID came, the lads said, oh, yeah, this is great now. We're going to be able to get this sorted. I mean have our jobs back and we we definitely nothing can happen within then. So
0: this is just this is just a convenient opportunity. they've been trying to do this for 10 years like yeah.
2: I feel like that's why things like Debenhams and this particular case of Uprise are so important because we can see the exact same thing being rolled out. So if we don't push back now it's going to become the normal and people are just going to have to you know learn to accept that. But if we stop it at this early point it can be a real fight back and it can show that workers are not willing to accept this kind of crumbs thrown to them.
1: Exactly. Like, I think it's so important, like, because in the context of, especially with all the social distancing and everything else... You know, workers could be forgiven for saying, oh, there's not much we can do. But actually, the Debenhams workers, without much of a lead from their union, at least initially, themselves said, no, we're going to fight this. We're going to organize protests. We're going to be socially distant. Uh, And now the instant upright uh, workers doing the same uh, as well. I think it does. It says workers aren't going to be rolled over. And in particular, in terms of in terms of retail, I mean, the whole way that people buy things is going to change. That's that's the truth. People are going to go less to shops and they're going to buy more online and there's a potential like massive jobs massacre to take place in retail i think there's over a hundred thousand workers in retail in ireland um, and i mean the, the state should be stepping in and should be saying we need an alternative model of retail which is a sustainable which could involve for example on post which is a state-owned uh, company which can involve integration of a number of different companies under public ownership with workers control you could have like an, um, an, an irish state-owned publicly owned workers controlled version of amazon kind of developed as part of a green new deal and then incorporate all these workers into it it. um but it's really vital that the workers kind of stand up and resist to these things
0: because otherwise this shift from uh uh to work, like i used to work in retail up until christmas i got out uh, um, uh, uh, and like i was talking to the guys that i used to work with and t- technically they're just they're, their jobs could come back but like they have no idea if their jobs will ever come back it's a it's a it's an it's an unnamed art and hobby shop which, which The description may may also be the name of the company, but uh, they don't know if they're ever coming back because, as you were saying, it'll all just move to online sales. And unless that's done, that should be done in Ireland uh, um, by a publicly owned company, because otherwise all that money is just going to be going out of the country, totally lost, lying in the pockets of Jeff Bezos.
1: First trillionaire in the world as a result of the coronavirus. Is what they're saying.
3: I have to say, fair play to the workers. Like I think they, they got it straight away. But and I just mentioned Debnams. They said I, I didn't even have to finish the sentence. He did say, yeah. He said, absolutely. They were the first, and not, we're not going to be the last. There's going to be a whole load of this going on, and he says we. we there's no way we're fighting. We're we're giving up. We're going to fight back. So
2: you're also going to see a huge amount of uncertainty in the restaurant industry because if restaurants have to bring in things where they have to socially distance. Places that were barely just making a profit beforehand are now going to have to reduce their possible table service by, you know, a third or whatever it will be. And it just may not be viable for a lot of them to reopen. But obviously the staff are just still not aware at this point if it is going to be a case that they have a job when they go back or not.
1: In all of this, the government does not think at all about the interests of workers except to the extent that they're forced to by people taking action it's so clear that we have a government that serves the interests of of big business it really is and like i there is nowhere clearer than that um than in terms of the the meat factories uh, there was a debate last night in the doll and i'm generally very you know calm don't go,
0: don't go smearing them now paul don't go smearing the poor meat <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: companies <laughs> we're literally this is twice now in a row michael creed is like ah sure why would the companies do anything that would endanger their workers? There's no logic to that at all. And like, if that's true, well, then there's no need for a minimum wage. There's no need for health and safety. There's no need for anything because the profit motive takes care of all of it. Don't worry about it. But that's the thing. That's the whole thing. Like, by his logic, there is no need for a
0: health and safety authority because he's saying, sure, the companies, they care about the workers. They wouldn't do anything to endanger them. So if you really think that, then all of a sudden it makes sense why, why the Health and Safety Authority weren't inspecting. Because they thought, well, like, you don't need to inspect companies. You don't need to make sure that they're, because they'll just do it naturally. Because companies are lovely guys that never, ever put profit before anything, you know. But that's the whole problem in this country is that, like, we have this model of light touch, self-regulation, uh, um, which is just leave the companies do what they like, leave the billionaires do what they like. And I'm sure at the end of the day, they'll, they'll look after our best interests, you know.
2: Um, I just want to go back to your point Paul on how you normally remain calm in the doll and it definitely wasn't the case in this today. oh you it was brilliant you yesterday you could feel your passion you and Breed were fuming <laughs> and then even at the end there's a video that's gone up on your Facebook um, of the exchange between you and um, Creed and it's just at the end you can hear you you're like, that's a huge percentage and I couldn't I really wanted to know what, what fact you gave at the end
1: <laughs> I think the fact I gave at the end was that he was claiming oh yeah yeah, he was like, "Sure, there's only 800 cases amongst meat workers, and there's 10,000 workers. But what's the problem?" Sixteen thousand, I think he said. How many thousand
2: Sixteen thousand. Sixteen thousand. But said.
1: that's that's loads. Like that's far yeah. more than the rest of the population. It's huge, and it's, it apparently is even a higher percentage than in meat factories in in America, which is an international scandal. And like he's just saying, this is this is absolutely grand.
3: In fact, it doesn't matter. Basically, about what. People's health, people in general, human beings—they don't give a fuck about them. Literally, that's it. And I, I, I accept the fact. Like uh, what Cian was saying there, absolutely. Yeah. With the more you say it to yourself, the more you actually believe it. They just don't give a fuck. It's being done. The work is being done and that's it. And they're getting their money,
2: so. Yeah. Something that I thought that was absolutely mad was um in, there's a Guardian article on it and there's kind of, you know, direct quotes from people who have made complaints about the conditions. And they were saying people who have actually taken the, the time off is sick like I don't know if these people are getting paid sick pay that's probably the reason why a lot of them are still attending work even though they have symptoms and then they were saying that new people just replaced them then straight away and they weren't sure if they had gone through a screening process so you have a situation there where you have people who are going into a situation where they're in a meat factory there's already cases of COVID in there so they could be bringing further disease in but they could also be catching the yeah. infection themselves, while they're in, it's just it's just throwing people in, not caring about them at all. Like it's just cannon fodder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: but it, but it, it was really brought into you know, clear focus this week with the the new there's kind of new rules for TDs, right? Whereby now we're not allowed to be in the same room for more than a two hour period, for two hours over a 24 hour period, which meant that Simon Harris said, I'm not coming to this debate about the meat factories because I'm in earlier on answering health questions, so I can't come for my safety. But like at the very same time, they're saying it's okay for workers in meat factories, which are obviously much closer than this very socially distant doll, less well ventilated, etc. People are working together for eight hours plus and there's no suggestion that there's any problem with it. So it's like one rule for TDs and another for, for meat workers.
2: Also, those of you in the doll, um know that your sick pay is going to be covered in full and if you have any kind of symptom, it's going to be totally understood that you don't go into work that day.
0: Do you know the way Varadkar was out saying he was going to do one afternoon a week uh, um, uh, uh, as a doctor? You should call on Minister Creed... To do one day a week in a meat
1: plant. <laughs> and send Michael Lowry in as if, well. If like. there's
0: such lovely places to work.
1: Yeah. It was incredible. Michael Lowry yesterday. So everyone was, you know, criticising the meat factories and Creed was basically defending them and saying, well, but then Michael Lowry comes in and basically suggests that these guys are being hard done by. That's all, um, you know, he was like sticking up for the meat, fa- meat plant owners. It was, it was really He was incredible. like, oh,
0: the poor, defenceless meat plant owners. The, yeah. These poor billionaires.
1: <laughs> I mean, but 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 again, it's 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 demonstrated in cold facts in terms of the fact that like the HSA, the Health and Safety Authority, didn't inspect any of not a single meat factory before this week. That's basically confirmed that they didn't in fact inspect a single meat factory. And like we sent them complaints, loads of workers complained, and they got nowhere with it. So
2: can I just fact check, just in case anybody knows? So I've seen somewhere that the HSA announced that there'd been 280 complaints right but we also have fact that there was 200 complaints from the meat packing factory so of 280 complaints are 200 of those from the meat packing plants or do we not know that
0: no no it's just the only thing we know is 280 complaints. The 200 was, originally they said over 200 complaints. Ah. And then later they said 280. Which I is... mean,
2: really, if you're rounding, it should be yeah. 300 then in that case. Like, let's be honest. I know, I know
0: exactly. <laughs> but uh, it was more than two complaints. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: okay, okay. So it was just more of a smudging of the facts.
0: Yeah, so it was 280 complaints. With no
1: inspections. Zero,
0: ins- in zero inspections. That
1: was what it was, like week and a half ago that was basically the, the situation that's when we got that information and then the HSA was coming into the doll on Tuesday so then on Monday they started doing inspections they did 80 inspections on Monday 80 on Tuesday 80 on Wednesday but then you have a situation where they do 80 a day now but we're doing none for like the two months before that but but then it's they like claim it's like, like when you do your
0: it's like doing your homework on, on on the way to school or, you know, you're, so on the way in, you're scribbling
1: it down so you have something to show.
2: But genuinely because they would have been aware that this debate on the meat factories was coming up in the doll.
1: And they themselves were in for a committee on Tuesday as well. Yeah, that's why they started. It's
2: so see-through, man.
1: It's outrageous. You know, if you don't do your homework, like, it's OK. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it was just put up to them. They had to fucking do it, like, But you know, really. And as I, I you say... The same as Debenham's, the same as the, the guys on strike in City West are going on strike in City West.
0: But the justification that they gave for not inspecting is interesting. They said that they, that they, that they, they did in, in investigate the cases but they didn't deem an inspection necessary so what their investigation would have been was phoning up the company and saying here lads are you doing everything all right and then the company says yeah yeah no (laughs) nothing to see here and then the hsa just went
2: yeah my homework is done (laughs) (laughs) i'd also be wondering in terms of doing so many inspections so close together like that were the people who had to carry out the inspections were they given proper health and safety equipment to go in there and the fact that they probably would have had to visit several premises who are under suspicion of having covid symptoms within them on the same day so that's kind of then then
0: they've it's come out that they have 67 inspectors doing this uh, um so that would mean that like it's one site a day per inspector kind of a thing but like 67 inspectors is is nothing um, during uh, when when the Brexit stuff and all that was going on, the government came out and announced that they were going to add an extra seventy vet inspectors on the ports. So you know, <laughs> like that was deemed to be a crisis that said that we need seventy vets, seventy extra vets on our ports, but we only have sixty-seven people inspecting workplaces to make sure that. They're not COVID clusters, like, you
1: know? And the other issue is that, like, these inspections are really meant to be unannounced. So people are meant to just turn up and do it, whereas some of them have been announced and they've admitted it. And then in other cases, it seems that companies have been tipped off. And we obviously don't know who has tipped them off or whatever, but we know for for like that, that's been reported that people have come in, uh, like people come into work in a meat factory and all of a sudden the place is clean and there's hand sanitizer and everything. And then the HSA inspector comes in, that day, But well,
2: surely the tip-off would have been when they did their investigation and they rang to be like, hey, is everything okay Then You
1: might clean your place up, yeah.
2: So obviously, that's basically the HSA saying to them, someone's made a complaint about you, and that's why we're suspicious of you now. So you better clean your act up before we pop in next week.
3: Those inspections have been happening for years in hospitals, in restaurants and that, and they've always been sort of uh, being tipped off before they actually went in. How like, many times have you seen on the news where... Uh, someone, Vrakka or something, was going to the hospital and everybody was everywhere was cleaned and the people are cleaning around, you know. It's again, they don't give a shite.
0: I heard one story that Vrakka was visiting the Limerick hospital and they went in the day before and they painted it, they painted all the walls freshly for them. You know, that's a classic
1: thing, that they do, all right. Um. I think they did that when the Queen visited as well. They, they they painted parts of Dublin for the Queen. Ah yeah,
0: you'd bring out the good cutlery, the good uh, 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 plates and all for the Queen though, wouldn't you?
2: <laughs> Maybe that's why these people think that things are actually nicer than they are because yeah, things yeah.
0: actually do get done <laughs> up before they show up. <laughs> they, they just think everything's lovely. like it.
2: Yeah. God, all the hospitals are so freshly painted in Ireland, everything must be great.
1: <laughs> that's that's where the notion of a Potemkin village comes from, is they used to create like false artificial happy villages for the Tsar, I think, to pretend that everything was, was great. And they kind of genuinely believe that everything was great obviously it suits them to believe it as well hospitals
0: always smell like fresh paint this must be what they <laughs> <Yeah>. think
1: <laughs> i mean the the point for me here is that like yeah we have got to push for the hsa to do the inspections we got to argue for the hsc to be empowered all those things but ultimately workers need to organize and rely on their own strength like the Debenham workers like the instant upright uh, workers so like there is legislation that people can use to elect safety representatives from uh, below we think that should go further people should elect safety committees and basically the bottom line is workers should group together into unions and not go back to work if they don't feel safe to do so that's that's the bottom line people shouldn't be forced or pressurized back to work
2: well another thing on that though is i believe in some of the factories 70 to 90 percent of them are migrants and english as a second language is a difficulty for some of them so for some people they're actually just not aware of how to organize or how to do that so that's something that unions need to look into and they need to like translate their material and they need to make that accessible in all different languages because it's those vulnerable people who are the ones who are going to be taken advantage of.
3: And like the migrant workers too, going on to direct provision as well, like where it, there's an outbreak there. Yeah,
0: yeah. the direct provision thing, Tony Benn, I think, had a great quote before, which is, you can judge a society, or ha- how the ruling class treats refugees and immigrants is how they would treat all working class people if they could get away with it.
1: And that, and that's a, that's a good thing, that's a good bit about what's happening with with the with the meat factories, um, that is it. Like they, they they feel they can get away with it. But also, I like Charlie Flanagan had this letter in like the Kerry local press apologising to the local people about what happened in Carrisaveen. One that there was no apology to the people who were actually. Affected by it, um, and like it seems that the vast majority of people in the local area are in solidarity with the asylum seekers. you know, it isn't some racist campaign. It's it's together, and they are appalled by what's what's happening. But like, incredibly, doesn't apologize to them at all. But then also, the Irish Examiner had a front page story a few days ago, basically just tearing apart the letter. The letter is just full of lies. Um, it's completely dishonest. Everything he said about it just made stuff up. Um, it's it's absolutely her- horrific.
0: The problem here is that for every individual company they have a direct profit motive to, like, cut corners. Every individual company, it suits them if they can spend less on PPE, spend less on hand gel, let, make workers work closer. Because, obviously, if, if workers have to work two metres apart uh, um, and there can't be too many of them all, to water, that, that costs money. It slows you down. It costs you money. Uh, um, so each company has a like direct profit motive to try to ratchet up uh, uh, um, production and, therefore, put put workers in danger. And you can't have the return to work being under their control. Like, that's why the idea of workers' committees, of uh, safety, elected safety committees controlling that return to work, coming up with, like, a new plan as to how can we safely do this work um, so that nobody has to be too close to each other so that people have PPE at every stage. But you can't leave it to the companies to do that because they'll just cut corners. You know, you need it to be done by the workers.
1: But a part of the, the stampede and creating a pressure on people to go back to work, including in unsafe conditions, is the, like, growing propaganda around kind of a new round of welfare cheat propaganda but focused on the pandemic unemployment payment and basically preparing the ground for big cuts in the pandemic of unemployment payment to force people back to work even if they feel Unsafe.
0: Can I talk about Owen Harris, my, my beloved friend Owen? Harris? No,
1: first of all, we'll talk about Leo Bracker. <laughs> Go on. don't. Well, Leo Vracker was out in the last days taking his inspiration. He clearly read. He got to the Sunday papers late in the week, and he read Owen Harris's article. Tell us about Owen Harris's article.
0: Leo Radker, Owen Harris calls Leo Bracker. Uh, he says that he needs to be a real badass. Uh, um, so this is I, this is the highlight of my weekend. Uh, was Owen Harris uh, um, in the in the Indo? Uh, uh an article titled a real badass would stop the subsidy and send us back to work uh basically just like demanding that radker slashes the pandemic unemployment payment starve them back to work uh, um and like you know just like let them die you know the 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 we the, the, the only the strongest will survive.
2: I mean, I'm just going to say now that there's no way Leo Radker's ego didn't lead him to read that article. Like he's definitely <laughs> read it. Like, <laughs> oh, badass instructions. Yeah, all right. I mean, he definitely floated around a few days with a big head after Matt Damon referred to him as a badass. Like,
1: yeah, Matt Damon said we've a badass sea Yeah, pretty tragically. So burn your DVD collections.
2: Who still has DVDs, Paul?
1: <laughs> I should have DVDs. They're in the attic. But I still have them. <laughs> So one of the things he said, he says, of course, the basking in the sunshine has to stop before we go broke and have to eat out of dustbins. Half the country consists of cosy, continue cocooners whose swaddling rituals will stop as soon as the golf course is open. The other half is on the handy COVID-19 subsidy and is naturally happy to be paid not to work.
2: I mean, I feel like the two halves that he's referring to misses a huge chunk of the population. Can I just say there? How much is
1: he worth?
0: There's a there's a value on his head all right
1: but... the only any value placed on people I don't know how much old Harris is worth I have no idea but
0: I'd say he was paid more just to write that article yeah that one article alone he was paid more than 350 euros to write like
1: probably <laughs> yeah But the same with Varadkar. I mean, Varadkar is basically giving out about how much money it is. And look how how they're claiming that 40% of people who are on the pandemic unemployment payment were previously on less than the pandemic unemployment payment. And they're basically saying, like, just it's taken as a statement of fact that it was a bad thing to lift people above the poverty line or maybe lift people to the poverty line.
2: I mean, the way I'd be thinking of it is feeling as though they had to offer people €350 a week is showing that they know that you need upwards of €350 a week to survive. Uh Do you know that kind of way? And now they're saying, like, definitely a big part of it is that they're saying that um, unemployed people who were on benefits beforehand are still on 203 and they're like, oh, they're going to be asking questions soon about why they're not on 350 And, like, it's just... It's shocking to me how they think that somebody could live on €203 Euro a week like <laughs> in, in one of the most expensive cities in the world.
0: But, like, for Adkers on more than €350 Euros a day, do you know what I mean? <laughs> in, these people are in a different world. Uh, um, and, like, this whole thing, like as I said, I used to work in retail. I'd be on, I some weeks I would get 20 hours, 30 hours. So I would have come out with less than 350 uh, um They make that seem as if, like oh that's just, if those part time workers they just all wanted to work part time you know and therefore it was just little little pocket money for them you know whereas there's loads of those people that they were on less than three hundred a week because they couldn't get the hours they were working every hour that they'd be given but just the hours weren't there um and, 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 like surely that's the point is the problem here is why was why were people ever having to live on less than 300 quid a week. Like
1: I mean, the, the poverty line for one adult and one child is something like, I think it's 369 euros a week. If you want to be able to survive. And that's that's the reality of people like feeding kids, paying rent, etc, etc. How on earth are people meant to survive? There's a good, Um, Waterford Whispers had a good article, the headlines T-Shock resets to original welfare scum factory settings.
2: Yes! That's exactly what um, it's like.
1: But it obviously has an ideological purpose. Hard
3: times coming ahead.
1: We got two months of like coronavirus and oh we care so much etc, etc. We're going to do everything it takes. And now this week in the doll was there's no such thing as free money. We're going to have massive inflation if we keep borrowing. We're going to have to cut the pandemic unemployment payment, the hint that they're not going to pay public sector workers. He
2: said on News Talk, the focus now is getting people back to work and off the pandemic payment why is the focus not to make sure that people go back to a safe working environment so that we all can, you know, stop the spread of this virus? And then it's like, if someone's offered their job back and they refuse it, they lose eligibility for the payment and enforcement needs to be put in place around that. So I assume that's where the whole thing comes from of this idea where they want to give employers test results back before the employees themselves.
0: Yeah, they were were knocked back on that though.
1: Yeah, they were forced to apologise for that.
2: Yeah, but I mean, and it was referred to as they have suspended the practice, so it's still um openly admitting it's still something that we want to do, but we just know that we won't be able to. like.
0: It's like something from slave times or something, where like yeah, the the, the real issue is that the the value of your asset has declined. Yeah. You know?
1: it's so blatant. Yeah.
0: Your worker is less valuable. But just just go go back to 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 my 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 old friend Owen Harris. Uh, um, because there's more in this. There's gems in this article. Uh, um, so he also says. A a bur- a burgeoning bourgeois welfare class is now joining them, the cocooners, in a long holiday, baking banana bread, making nettle soup, playing Scrabble. I had banana bread. The day. Br- oh, yeah, banana bread's good. Yeah, I don't know why. He, what's he got against banana bread? He uh,
3: just can't make it. Uh,
0: uh, baking banana bread. Making nettle soup, playing Scrabble, surfing Pornhub, and tending to their allotments. But
2: I just, it, like, it's mad. Making €350 a week now makes you a member of the, the bourgeois class. Bourgeois
1: class, <laughs> yeah, yeah. His Marxism didn't go very far that he learned in the Workers' Party, if he thinks that makes you bourgeoisie.
2: And then he also has a bit where he goes on to talk about people. Um, He was talking to somebody who used to manage a care home, and he was talking about how they had people and um, wrongly claiming the €350 euro a week instead of going to work in the care facility. But you have to ask your questions, Ask yourself the questions, were they provided with PPE for working in the care home? Was their mental health considered when they were asked to do more shifts to cover people who were sick? You know... Were they
1: on minimum wage? Yeah, Which they probably exactly. Were.
2: Would... It not, like, they're saying because it's more attractive to be on 350 euro a week than to, to work full time. But, like, make a better work-life balance then so that people actually don't prefer to be on 350 euro a week to be working slave labour. Like,
0: But the thing is, like, Harris has given out about these people who, like, I probably, they've lost their jobs. Do you know what I mean? These are people whose companies have closed or who can't open. They've been sent home uh, um, and who are, like, yeah, maybe they are making banana bread. Like, what of it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But, like, he's not giving out about, he's not giving out about, like, the Larry Goodmans, the Dennis O'Briens, the billionaires who have literally made billions out of this. Like, you know, Jeff Bezos has seen, as we said earlier on, has seen his wealth go through the roof. Uh, um, he's, I didn't see Owen Harris complaining about, like, that, that. there was this story about this billionaire who went off and self-isolated on his super yacht, you know? They're the ones living this high life who are able to literally sit back and just check their bank balance once a day and watch that they have... It's gone up 5 million, you know? But instead of giving out about that, he's complaining about people who, like, have 350 coming in a week, you know?
1: But, that, but that's part of the tactic, as always, is, is not to talk about the actual bourgeois class, but to make up and try and divide working-class people. So they make, like real points where like it, it is unfair that there's people who are still on job seekers allowance of just over two hundred euros and they're not entitled for like random reasons because they didn't happen to be working at that particular point in time it would have been previously it would have been later. They're not entitled to the 350 euros. But and their answer, and it's the same between public sector workers and private sector workers, their answer is always to say we need to level downwards rather than level upwards. And so the answer is to reduce the 350 to just over 200 euros rather than establish a basic minimum welfare payment, which is the equivalent to the poverty line of of 350 euros across the board for everybody who happens to be on on welfare. And the reason for that, of course, is because they don't want this bourgeois class that they don't want to talk about to actually pay for this or for that wealth to be taken into public ownership and used to provide a decent life for all.
3: The reason why he doesn't make banana bread is because he obviously has somebody else to do it for him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so go, go on. so then, then as the article goes on he descends from just reactionary to like full on like COVID denier status like almost he goes um, uh, indeed I never really cocooned this man is over 70 he should have cocooned but he says indeed I never really cocooned Believing the lockdown too restrictive on robust older people. Accordingly, masked and gloved, I went off to ask about going back to work. A supermarket manager said too many of his staff were calling in sick. And <laughs> an SME owner said staff were demanding a PPE, advanced, advanced PPE, PPE before coming back. All these people not showing up
2: to work sick, like <laughs> Jesus,
3: how dare they ask for PPE as well? Like, we're in a pandemic.
2: Why would you ask for PPE? That was actually something that was said in the meat factories. They weren't given PPE. They were told they could bring in their own. And it's the same for a lot of people I know who are working in like supermarkets and stuff. If you want to wear a mask, you can, but you need to go and get your own one. Like, Which is crazy. To people who work on minimum wage can't afford to survive, never mind the luxury of having PPE. Like, and PPE shouldn't be considered a luxury. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's surreal how much they've gone up. But like I, I just love this image of him... Like refusing to self-isolate, uh, um, going off and then giving out about uh, um other workers who aren't willing to work without PPE. Yeah,
1: yeah, and um, when he's the one who's endangering them potentially by presumably like going from place to place and not wearing PPE and uh, getting up in their face as well, giving out to them. You know? Yeah,
3: thinks he's better than them. That's why
2: it's just it's mad how people can read his an article like that and agree with it in my opinion.
1: Oh uh, yeah, he's a terrible guy. <laughs> oh man, I just... But do, do you know this guy's background? Like, no. This
0: guy, he He used to be, he, he used to be like a Marxist. A Marxist, uh, um, quote unquote. And then he was a big Sinn Féin supporter, like uh, uh, official Sinn Féin and all. Uh, um, and then he was an advisor to the Ulster Unionist Party. That's right, yeah, is, I read that, yeah. And then, and, and then Fáil, uh fall, uh, he was best friends with Bertie um, who like clearly hasn't cost the state anything? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he, Bert, Bertie is on again a massive pension. I don't see him complaining about his friend Bertie's massive pension. Uh, um, but yeah, and now now obviously he's uh, uh, given Radcliffe advice on how to how to be a real badass.
2: And the bit that he says at the end, where he talks about how a group of people were like allowing a man in grey tracksuit bottoms to have his arse out basically and he gave him the heads up on it as if he did him some sort of community service favour by talking to somebody who's fucking wearing grey tracksuit bottoms. Do you know what I mean? That's <laughs> it here. Like, <laughs> fuck <laughs> off, like.
1: Apropos of nothing, It's <laughs> my advice to the world.
2: Oh, I just, I can't even.
0: <laughs> I, wish, I wish he'd covered his fucking mouth. Rather than exactly. His... Did you, just yeah. The last thing though, because this, this, is my pet peeve, okay, is like, like Irish racism against ourselves, you know. I think, I think, I think we we are one of the few countries that sort of like we package it up. Like we have a leprechaun museum in Dublin, and we're like, oh yeah, we're, aren't we funny little people? So long as you're willing to give us money, we'll like we'll say top of the morning to you, you know. But but he has this sentence in it, which I, like anyway, I don't know. But he says that finally a Dublin tradesman asked me rhetorically, "Will Paddy on three hundred and fifty euro uh, uh, go back on the sites?" Sharing four portaloos with five hundred other builders for two hundred euro a week extra, eh? But he still wasn't finished. Paddy knows evictions are illegal, so he's not bothered paying his rent at all. He knows he's protected by law. So this guy, he's saying like, oh yeah, you should just five hundred workers should share the news.
3: It's only every time you read it, you feel I feel worse and worse. Like I want to go and smack him, like I'll be using the basketball this week as pretending it's him. <laughs> absolutely horrendously
0: you'll get him as well because he's not cocooning so he's there just wandering around and annoying shop assistants I think
1: that's our 20 minutes of hate of uh, Owen Harris well well covered
2: and another thing
1: (laughs) (laughs) one more thing about his history we'll come back to you Owen do
3: you know what I'm going to do I'm going to put a face on the basketball this is the end Paul and I'll keep on banging it on the ground. <laughs> I get satisfaction out of that.
0: But, but there's a serious point. This isn't just about like old oh, Harris. There's a serious point here, which is like what he's saying bluntly is what Varadkar is saying, like slightly less bluntly.
2: And the reason that Owen I know, the reason that Owen Harris feels as though he can say these things is because he knows it is backed up by the likes of Leah Radker. It's like racists in America getting strength from Donald Trump being up there and making a platform for them. Exactly. Right? This is
0: what they're saying on their Zoom calls, you know, in their private Zoom calls that they're having, chatting about stuff. They're talking about ignorant Paddy who's refusing to uh, 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 work. Uh, they're right probably
2: wrong. they're probably on Microsoft Teams in fairness instead of Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: they probably are. <laughs> The, the next weeks, though, they're, they're going to really go on the offensive on these things. This is a big preparation ideologically. Owen Harris is a part of it. It's like the unsophisticated part of it. Faradkar is a part of it. They're, you know, they're going to drive this through, and then they're going to try and really go after the pandemic unemployment payment, um, as well as public sector wages, etc. So we got to be ready. Um, so on that note, I'm going to suggest we bring it to a close. Um, i want to thank everybody for listening to us again i'd ask people if they like the podcast to share it to like it to spread uh, the word about it to encourage other people uh, to listen to it um, to consider getting involved in socialist politics and um, see you or hear you all again next week
2: and if you know on harris try and pass it along to him thank you bye
1: <laughs> <laughs> thanks everybody <laughs> bye bye